Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. We started a series last week called The Age of Heroes. The Age of Heroes. Because this current world needs people to be heroes. Psalm 138. One of the things I encourage you to do if you were with us last week. How many of you were with us last week? That's the majority. And even if you weren't, I encourage everybody to write down at the top of their notes, because you should take notes every time we come to church. Write a dream that you believe in God for to come to pass. And then under that, be honest with yourself and write a dream you gave up on it, either because you said it's too long ago, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too this, I'm too that. Write a dream that you believe in for God to come to pass now and one that you gave up on. Because we believe in God's going to stir up dreams on the inside of you and that all these things will come to pass. My assignment for this series is to just encourage you, to stir you up, to inspire you. So it may not be a heavy teaching series, but this series is to encourage you and inspire you that you can be what God has called you to be in this time and this age, that you can be the hero the world needs you to be. A hero is defined as a person who is admired or idolized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. To stand for God in this age requires heroic qualities. It's not a joke to live for Jesus in these days. The whole world tells you not to. They say you're outdated. You say something that they don't like, say, oh, you're you're offensive to us, so you can't say those things. But to walk with God, to walk in love, to walk in forgiveness, to walk in the truth, it requires you to be heroes. So Psalm 138, verse 8. See what David said. Said, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Thy mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the works of thine own hands. We said the word last week, perfect, means to perform, to complete, and to bring to an end. Last week, we looked at other translations of this verse. And it said, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will vindicate me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will accomplish what concerns me. So David was supremely confident that when it came to him, that God would perfect, complete, and bring to a close everything that concerns him, that every dream, every plan, every purpose God gave him was coming to pass. And see, David knew that, and I believe also that helped his mindset in this. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, there was a battle David was facing, and he inquired of the Lord, and the Lord gave him a strategy on how to win. And he won in such a overwhelming fashion, he called God a different name that hadn't been written in the Bible before. He called him the Lord of the breakthrough. He said, because God broke forth against my enemies. He broke forth like a rushing river. So imagine if there was a dam and waters and oceans were being held back and all of a sudden that dam broke and the ocean flooded in. That's how David is comparing his victory. He said, my God is the Lord of the breakthrough. Say, my God is the Lord of the breakthrough. Now, when you look at the name Lord of the breakthrough in Scripture, it implies a sudden change. It implies a suddenly. Now, what's a suddenly? Everything was this way. All of a sudden, it's different. 
So when the Lord of the breakthrough shows up on the scene, everything in your life could be one way. And a second later, everything changes. Why? He's the Lord of the breakthrough. Go to Philippians chapter 1. The Lord will work out his plans for your life. He will perfect what concerns you. He will fulfill his purpose for you. And if that requires breakthrough after breakthrough, God knows what he's doing and he can bring it your way. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 6. Notice what Paul's tone to the church at Philippi. Now Paul's writing in this letter, and he's in jail. Not a nice, comfy jail. A jail where some scholars say that he's chained to the wall, that there's sewage waist high, there's dead bodies floating by, and rats helping from body to body. But it's interesting, in this letter he writes about joy. And he says again and again, rejoice, 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 meaning your circumstances and surrounding does not need to affect your joy. It may be a detriment to your happiness, but joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So no matter what's going on around you, you can choose to stir up the joy. You can choose to laugh. You can choose to rejoice. You can choose to praise God. And praising always brings you to victory. So notice what Paul tells the church at Philippi. They were going through persecution. Not just because they were Christians, but think about their background. A lot of the members, the majority of the members were ex-convicts. They were people who were in jail. And so they were going through things, you know, even today... Depending on what crime they committed, they may be saying, well, who's going to hire somebody like us? Who's going to accept us? Who's going to receive us? Remember, they're in a very paganistic society where Christianity is far different. So they're going through persecution. And Paul's writing to encourage them. But what's interesting, although this wasn't a prosperous church like Corinth and some of the other churches, that they were the ones who gave a lot. They were givers. They said, they begged Paul, take our gift. They understood something, and to them, God replied the promise, I'll supply all your needs according to your riches and glory. So notice what he tells them in the beginning of this letter. Being confident, verse 6, of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. The word perform here means to fulfill further or completely, to accomplish, to do, to finish, simply... Paul said, whatever God began in you, he will finish it. So although it looks rough right now, all, those, all these people are coming against you, all these reasons to stand between you and what God's called you to do. If God started the work, God is able to finish it. Paul was confident in God's ability to fulfill the dream, the plan, and the purpose in the life of the believer. Remember what Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I've kept the faith. Paul, to get to that point, had been through so much. Some of his own creation, some of the devil's creation, but he said, I finished my race. Why? I am confident that God will perfect that which concerns me. I am confident that I can complete what concerns me. So at the end of his life, he also said in 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, he said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be led to the charge. Now, Paul went before Nero two different times. The first time when he's standing before the emperor, 
Everybody leaves him. All the people say, we got your back, Paul. We got your back, Paul. Now, Nero's crazy. So Nero up here is like, Paul, you're on your own, buddy. Praying for you from a distance. So you can be a situation in your life where it seems that like everybody has left you. Everybody has turned their back on you. But notice what Paul said. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So just because people have left you and turned their back on you, don't be upset, don't be bitter. You might want to walk, write them a thank you note, because when you left me, Jesus walked in. When you left me, my problems got less, because Jesus came in and he turned everything around for me. You just bless people as they go. God bless you. Jesus will still take care of me, even if it's just me all by myself. So Paul is standing before Nero, who has the power to kill him, and Jesus walks in the room, strengthens him. I got you, Paul. It's not time for you to go yet. To deliver him from the mouth of the lion. And then he goes on in verse 18 and says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul said, Not only did he get me out of the situation with Nero, any evil I run into, he will deliver me from, he will preserve me till it's my time to go. So you have to be confident that God can deliver you no matter what comes your way, and God can keep you, God can preserve you until it's your time to go to heaven or until Jesus comes back for his church. You have to be confident that no matter what you come up against, God is able, and not only is he able, he is willing, and not only is he willing, he will finish what concerns you. It reminds me of Psalms 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but, see, some of you are so stuck talking about all your problems and your troubles, you've never got past the but yet. Because the rest of that scripture says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. What's left after all? Nothing. So whatever trouble, whatever affliction, whatever persecution comes your way, God wants to deliver you out of them all. So there's nothing left that can mess with you because God's deliverance is complete. So just like he delivered Paul, just like he delivered David, you have to believe that the Lord of the breakthrough will deliver you. So go back to Jeremiah chapter 29, So we looked at last week. Jeremiah 29, starting with verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. So we looked at the reason why they were going into Babylon. They missed it. The time of judgment was coming. God summoned in advance and said, you are going to leave this place. And you will be in Babylon for 70 years. But I'm not going to leave you in the place that you created for yourself. I'm going to bring you out. My thoughts towards you are good, not of evil, not of trouble, to give you an expected end. And as we looked at last week, the expected end means an end that you would hope for. 
So if you could pause right now and think about whatever situation you are in, and you can think about the other side of that situation, what is your greatest hope for how you want it to turn out? Not what you'll settle with, not what you think is realistic. What is your greatest hope for it to turn out that way? God says, I want to give you that expected end. So he's telling this to a backslidden, rebellious people. He said, yeah, y'all going to turn around. See, what's so good about God? That even though you are messing up, God's already planned your comeback. So you could be acting a hot mess out there, but God said, I'm just waiting for them to turn around. As soon as they turn around, I can get them back to the place they're meant to be. What is the word turn around? It's the word repent. So some of you could be in here today and you're talking about all the things you're doing wrong in your life. But if you repent today, God can turn everything around and put you back in the place you always meant to be. You're not too far gone because if you still feel that tug in your heart that something's not right, you are not too far gone and there's still time to turn around today. We preach repentance. Why? Jesus preached repentance. So, well, that's under the law. No, the book of Revelation is in the New Testament. How many know the book of Revelation is in the, at the end of the New Testament? And Jesus told the churches there, repent. So if you miss it, it's simple. Repent turn and go the other direction. In Micah 2.13, it's a passage relating to the restoration of Israel of which Jeremiah speaks of. And God has called in that verse the breaker. It is the same Hebrew word that refers to what God did for David when he broke through for him. So in a way, God is saying that as you return in front of you, will be the Lord of the breakthrough. So as you go back to do what you're supposed to do, you're not going on your own. I'm going before you and I'm gonna manifest myself as the Lord of the breakthrough, the one who shows up suddenly and advances you to where you're meant to be. So go to Daniel chapter six, now that my introduction is done. Daniel chapter six. God is able, God is willing, and God will do what he promised you. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. So Daniel chapter 6. We looked at Daniel and his three friends last week. How they were taken to Babylon as 15-year-olds. How they made a decision in their heart not to compromise. To follow God. We talked about the trouble landed three of his friends in. How when they were 20, 21, they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but God delivered them from Nebuchadnezzar. And then after they were delivered, Nebuchadnezzar promoted them. So years go by, regimes change, administrations change, powers change. Now there's a new king named Darius. Said it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. So Daniel, when this new king comes in, he sets his new administration. There's Daniel and these other guys who rule over all the other governors. But the king keeps watching and says, there's something different about Daniel, this excellency that he walks in, this spirit that he walks in. So now Daniel is promoted and he's in charge of everybody. Only the king is above him. Daniel is ruling the world. And so, the other presidents, the princes, they get jealous. So they say, well, let's investigate his life. Let's find something we can blackmail him with. 
Let's call Olivia Pope because she can fix it and help us. Let's bring him down. She knows something. So they investigate his life. They go through everything and they can find nothing. No skeleton and no closet, no scandal whatsoever. And so they come back together and says, the only way we can take him down is if we make a law against his God. Now look at verse 7. Notice the law. They come back to King Darius. And they said, we've all gotten together. We've all concerted. We want you to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God or man for 30 days, save of you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. So notice what the law is to stop prayer. The law that they want to stop Daniel is we want to stop Daniel from praying. And they knew that Daniel was a man of prayer. And so they make the decree, they trick the king into making the decree, the king goes with it, and in that time, in the law of the Medes and the Persians during that administration, if the king makes a law or a decree, it cannot be reversed. So once he said it, it is law. So for 30 days, everybody's ordered not to pray to anybody but the king. But David, uh, Daniel already had a habit, a habit of prayer. Three times a day, he went to his house, opened the window, faced Jerusalem. He would pray, get on his knees and praise and thank God. So they made the law. What did he do? He went home, opened his window and praised and thanked God and prayed. And so when his haters found out that he didn't change, they went to the king and says, hey, king, didn't you make a law that nobody can pray for 30 days? But you said, yeah, sure did. I made that law. He said, well, Daniel does not care what you said and he's still praying. And Darius felt bad because he realized they had tricked him to get in Daniel trapped. So he says he worked all day to try to figure out a way to weasel out of the law. But with me, the law of the Medes and Persian, it could not be reversed. So he finally gave in and he said, take Daniel and throw him into the lion's den. So not one lion is in the den, multiple lions are in the den. One lion's bad enough, but multiple lions? So notice, let's skip down to sixteen. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou serves continually, will deliver thee. And so they roll a stone over the lion's den after they throw Daniel in. The king signs it, all the other princes sign it. The king goes home, couldn't sleep, refused to eat, fasted the night, waited for daylight, and rushed back to the lion's den. And he said, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God, whom you serve continually, able to deliver you from the lions? He's calling out, hoping for an answer. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Now you might think, king, you threw me in here, but I'm still alive. But you forgive everybody of everything, and you still show honor to those who are in authority, even if they make wrong decisions. I don't care what political party you are, you still show honor to the governor and to the president. And you still pray for them. You say, well, I'm this, I'm that. Well, you're supposed to be a Christian first. Pray for those who are in authority, that it might be well or peaceable with you. So Daniel replies, O king, live forever. 
My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouth that they may not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me and also before the O king, I have done no hurt. So Daniel is thrown in. All these lions are looking, dinner, dinner, dinner. But an angel of God shows up. <laughs> Go sit down somewhere. So Daniel spends a night in a cave with a lion rug. You might say, oh, those lions must not have been hungry. No, they were hungry. Because after Daniel got out, they're just like, oh, y'all want to trick me? All y'all who made the law, get in there. And before they hit the ground, they were dead. Those lions were hungry. But many may be the afflictions of the righteous. But God delivers them out of all. So it doesn't matter what he's got to do to get you out of your situation, whether it's sending an angel or whether it's turning the heart of a king, God is able to do it. It reminds me of what Peter said in 2 Peter 2.9. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment to be punished. So he knew how to deliver Daniel and he knew how to deal with Daniel's haters. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. And you see the end result. When look at verse 28. Well, no, look at verse 26. Notice what the king said. He said, I'll make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even until the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So now the heathen king starts to testify. He is the living God. He can deliver. He can rescue. He does signs and wonders in heaven. He does signs and wonders in the earth. And you talk bad about him, you got to deal with me. Talk about a law. Because remember, once the king says it, it cannot be reversed. So go to chapter 9. Remember the law they passed against Daniel. Was a law to keep him from what? And we talked about last week that these young boys going to Babylon knew what Jeremiah said. It's 70 years. I know the plans that I have for you. So in Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Asherus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish, what, 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications. So what is one of the things Daniel is praying about? The word God gave about it's time for everybody to go back to Jerusalem. So isn't it interesting that Satan will stir up Daniel's haters to stop, try to stop the word of God from coming to pass? Isn't it interesting that when you're getting closer to your purpose, your dreams, the plan God has for you, something all of a sudden comes to block you from crossing that line, to take you out of prayer? Well, I don't have time to pray. I get all of this keeps popping up. I don't have time to pray. Well, if Daniel, who ruled the whole world, had time to pray, I think you have time. To pray. And notice this prayer and determination is part of what calls 
God's plan to come to pass. Because the will of God for your life is not automatic. There are things you must have to do, things you must activate on your end for the promise of God to come to pass in your life. And part of that is your prayer life. So Daniel's taking the word before God. You said by the prophet 70 years, the seven years is now up, so I'm believing for you to restore. I'm believing for you to send back. I'm believing for you to turn this situation around. So go to Ezra chapter 1. Daniel full well knew, I know the plans I have for you. He realized that it had been 70 years. Remember, Daniel went when he was 15. Now he's praying he's 85. And he continues working in the government for another number of years. So depending on how you calculate it, Daniel didn't retire until he was over 100. And he said he prospered and had success. So he could have been 105 working for Cyrus when he finally had his retirement party. Some of you think, well, I gotta slow down, I'm 60. This dude ruled the world to his 100 and something. God can regenerate you. God can renew your youth like the eagle. Stop saying, well, I'm this, so I have to be this. Well, I'm, I'm 40, so you know, my mind has to start to go. Why are you gonna accept something crazy like that? Talk back, use your authority. Well, I'm 45, so, you know, my body has to hurt like this. Say who? Says who? Moses was 120 when he climbed a mountain. Most people in here can't even climb a mountain now. So if Moses could climb a mountain when he was 120, stop talking about how your body has to be just because you're whatever age. Come on, I was a youth pastor. I don't hear kids say, oh, I'm 18, so I'm not as young as I used to be. You are 18. (laughs) What do you mean you're not as young as you used to be? So don't receive stuff just because the world says it or because you have an off day. Reply with the word of God. So Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the same one Daniel worked for, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, what we just looked at, might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. So what happened? The word, God promises, coming to pass. Why? Daniel is praying. And as Daniel prays, stays before God praying, God stirs the heart of Cyrus the king, a man who was a heathen, but whom God said, I've anointed him. He anointed him for the purpose. One of the purposes was restoring the Jewish nation. So God stirs the heart of Cyrus. He makes a national policy, and he says, I want all the Jews to go home, and I want them to rebuild their temple. So everything that Nebuchadnezzar took for them, it's in the royal archives. I'm taking it, and I'm giving it back to them. Now, that sounds like restoration. But then he says, everybody who lives around them all throughout my empire, feel free to give a free will offering to help their God. How would you like the ruler of the world says, I want to take up an offering for Jesus right now? That's the national policy, remember, which cannot be reversed. It's coming to pass because God promised, God had a plan, God had a purpose, God had a dream. He put it in the hearts of his people through the word of the Lord. Now Daniel is praying and it's all coming to pass. Remember, as they're going forward, the Lord of the breakthrough is going before them. So God is overturning policy. He is delivering people to get his people back to where they're supposed to be. Because once they're where they're supposed to be, hundreds of years later, Jesus will come. He's setting everything up. Now it just needs about 480 more years till Jesus shows up. 
He's getting everything ready. He's preparing for you in this scripture. He's like, well, I wasn't even alive yet. It's 2,400 years before you ever thought of, but God was still preparing for you. So look at Ezra chapter 4. So God stirs up the heathen king. Why? The word that was spoken and Daniel prayed. Ezra chapter 4, verse 1. So there's three different trips back from Babylon to Israel. The first is led by Zerubbabel. So he goes back and he begins to work there. Chapter 4, verse 1. So now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, and as you go on, they began to stir up trouble. So just because you finally got through one situation doesn't mean haters won't rise from another place. But still remember the Lord of the breakthrough goes before you. Verse 4. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in the building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even unto the reign of Darius, is a different Darius, king of Persia, and in the reign of Asherus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and of Jerusalem. So not only are they trying to resist them, not only are they trying to talk them down, now they have hired people to frustrate their purpose. Come on, that's haters on a whole nother level. So we are investing our finances to keep you back. It's in institutionalized. But the Lord of the breakthrough is going before them. So there may be people who are standing against you. There may be people who've been hired to stand against you. There may be people within systems and institutions and governments that stand against you. But the Lord of the breakthrough is still going before you. God already said a word. His people already prayed. So it doesn't matter what stood before them and the dream God had for them. It was still all going to come to pass. So we know what Cyrus did. But then there was another king just named Asherus. You may or may not recognize that name, but in the Greek, his name is Xerxes. So go to the book of Esther. Just a few, just a book over. Xerxes, also known as Asherus, was the new emperor, the new king. He had so much money, so much power. He ruled from India to Ethiopia and farther. And he had so much money, so much power, he threw a six-month-long party for all of his princes, all of his governors, and says, whatever they want to eat or drink, it's theirs. They just got to ask it. Some historians said, before there, you know, you know, we have great restaurants where waiters are awesome and refilling the water. But they said there was a person behind each prince. So as soon as their cup got empty, it was refilled. That's what type of party it was. Six months, not one day. Think about the catering of princes and governors and their families for six months. So during this party, the king gets drunk. We didn't say he was a good king. And he calls for his queen. Come out, do a fashion show. Put the crown on your head. Walk out here in front of everybody. I want everybody to see how be beautiful you are. And the queen goes, you have lost your mind. <laughs> I ain't coming. The king is embarrassed in front of all his princes and his governors. So all the lawyers, they get together and make a deal. King, here's what you got to do. D demote her for being queen. 
And then it sends a message throughout the whole kingdom. So he does it. So Queen Vashti is no longer queen. The king is looking for a new queen. So in chapter two, his advisors come up with a strategy. They said, hey, let's have a beauty contest. Throughout the whole empire, look for all the, the beautiful virgins. We'll bring them here, and if they win this contest, ladies, some of you are lifeless part, for a year they have spa treatment. Every day their job now is they go through the spa. Different types of what they call beautification for a year before they ever go see the king. A whole year. And so the king likes that idea. So it leads me to my title, The Age of Heroes, Beauty Queens, Politicians, and the Hot Breath of Lions. Because come on, you think about Daniel and the lions, then I'm sure his those lion's breath didn't smell that good. Nero was a lion. He was a politician, but God delivered Paul from him. So now you have a line of a king who's in charge of an empire. But in one of these people, there's this woman named Esther. And she was an orphan. Somehow her parents had died. So her cousin Mordecai adopts her and raises her as his own. And so Esther is one of those selected. So he goes through the year-long treatment. Everywhere she goes, she has favor. Everybody's drawn to her, wants to bless her, wants to help her. The king sees her and makes her the new queen. So now, this Jewish girl who was an orphan is now queen of an empire. So see, the thing is, your backstory is not as important as your future. You might think, well, I've had a troubled past, but it doesn't mean you have to have a troubled future. In one year, she went from being an orphan girl who's raised by her cousin to being the queen. That sounds like a suddenly, because that's a huge jump. In less than a year, she's the queen of the empire. Now, she's enjoying being queen, I'm sure, but in order to talk to her husband, the king, if she's not called for, she has to approach the king, and if the king does not extend the scepter, then she's killed. I didn't say he was a good king. I said he was a heathen king. And so that was the policy. If you're not called for, and he dare come to the court, and the king does not extend the scepter, you are going to die. So that's how she operated. So as we look at chapter 3, rules most of the known world. So after these things did King Asherus or King Xerxes promote Haman the Agite and advanced him and set his seat above all the princes that were with him. So now here's another Daniel, but the thing is he does not serve God. And all the king's servants that were in the king's gate bowed and reverenced Haman for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai bowed not, nor did reverence him. Remember, Mordecai is Esther's cousin. And so when people says, well, why don't you bow like the king said? He replied, I'm a Jew. We don't bow before people. We only bow before God. And so Haman loved the pomp and circumstance and walked by every day. Mordecai just looked, what's up, dude? And so people finally told Mordecai, I mean, finally told Haman, Haman went to see that it was true, and it enraged him. This is a sign of an insecure man, that if the whole nation bows before you, but you are troubled and you are bothered by one person, 
some insecurity issues. And so he decides, I'm not going to take all my power just to go after one man. I want to kill all the Jews. So now here's a forerunner to Hitler who has the power to do something about the entire world. So he goes to the king. He doesn't name the race. He says, king, because remember, he has opportunity to go talk to the king whenever he wants because of his position. He says, there's this people throughout the empire, small people, they're not that important. They have these strange laws, these strange customs. They're trouble wherever they go. So I think they're going to be a trouble to you. So here's what I want you to command. Let me kill them all. And the thing is, you won't have to pay for it. I'm going to take my own money, deposit it in the government's treasury, and I'm going to pay for it. And the king said, well, it's your money. Do what you want to do. And so Haman sends out a letter to all the provinces of the empire because he cast lots to decide a day. He said, on this day, you all have authority to kill all the Jews and take their stuff. So not only is that letter sent out to all the empire, it's posted everywhere. Everywhere outside the palace. All the Jews were in Shushan, which is in modern-day Iran. The story takes place in Persia, modern-day Iran. Iran's in the news. And so, he says, kill all the Jews. Sounds like their policy hasn't changed in a couple thousand years. But that's another message. And so, Mordecai sees the announcement, as well as a whole lot of the Jews, and they begin to pray. They begin to fast. And they're weeping in sackcloth and ashes. And it gets to Esther. Your cousin Mordecai is weeping outside the gate. He's wearing all this sackcloth and ashes. So Esther says, well, maybe he needs some new clothes. He sends him some clothes. Come on, get dressed. And, more, and he refuses. So Mordecai informs her of the law that has been passed. So look at chapter 4. So Mordecai tells her what's going on. And he says, now Esther, go before the king. Make a request for the life of all your people. But notice how Esther replies. Sent word back to him saying, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come to the king and to the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live but I have not been called to come unto the king these 30 days. He said, I haven't seen him for a month. How am I just going to walk in there? And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Esther's nervous. She has a right to be. If I make a stand, I could die. If I stand up for righteousness, it could harm me. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther. Think not with thyself that you shall escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to, Jews, to the Jews from another place. So God will still deliver his people. His word will still come to pass. God will still do what he promised. He said, but you and your house shall be destroyed. And who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Is it possible you were suddenly promoted and elevated just so you could be there in advance of the enemy's plan? 
that you might think, well, why am I in this position? Why am I in this city? Why am I working this job? Why am I in this neighborhood? Could you have been brought there for such a time as this? People think, well, why wasn't I born before? Why was I in the day of Moses or Paul or all these other people? You weren't meant for that time. You were meant for this time. You were brought to the kingdom of God for such a time as this. And in the days of the end, when it gets rougher and rougher to stand for Jesus, when the world gets darker and darker, crazier and crazier, God needs his strongest people, his strongest soldiers of all time to stand at the very end. And it wasn't Abraham, it wasn't Isaac, it wasn't Jacob, it wasn't Joseph, it wasn't Daniel, it wasn't Esther, it wasn't Peter, Paul, or James, it was you. Before the world began, I need them to be there in 2015 to make a stand for me. God chose you because he has confidence in you. He knows he can perfect that which concerns you. So you need to believe in yourself just like God believes in you. You're brought to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me, neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also, my maidens, will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I'll perish. So she makes a decision. I'll do it. Here's what I want you to do and all the Jews who live here. And me and all my people are going to do the same. So notice all the people in Esther court believe in God. It says, we're going to go fast and pray. Remember like Daniel, this prayer and determination. You have to give yourself to prayer if you want to see God's plan for your life come to pass. So one of the things, we do have corporate prayer here. We have it Wednesday at noon. We have Saturday prayer school at 10. And we have pre-service prayer 10 minutes before every experience. So not only should you pray it individually, but you should gather together and pray. Prayer produces power. So they took the three days just to pray. So Esther goes before the king. He knows determination. Well, if I die, I die. Oh, well. There's no fear there. Just like Paul said in his letters. He said, it's better for me to die because I go to be with Jesus but it's better for you for me to stay and teach you about Jesus. So I've made up my mind. He's in jail at this point. They're trying to kill him at this point. He says, I'm going to stay so that your faith can get stronger. He said, God will bring me out of this situation, and God did. It's determination. You can't frighten a man like that. You can't frighten a woman like this. This boldness on the inside, this heroic quality of courage, of boldness to stand. So go to... You turn to chapter 8. So the queen goes before the king. The king sees her. Esther has favor. He extends the scepter and says, what would you like, my queen? If you ask for up to half of the kingdom, it is yours. Wow, that's a lot of favor. She's coming for one request, but he offered her, you can have half of the kingdom. Remember, he rules half, almost half of the known world. And she says, I want to throw a party. She says, I want you and your right-hand man, Haman, I want him to come. It's going to be tomorrow at this time. Just coming out. He agrees. So the next day, you know, Haman's really full of himself. Thinking, not only am I in charge of everything, 
the queen invited me to a dinner just for her and the king. And so he was going to go in to talk to the king about Mordecai in between these dinner parties to get his permission to kill him because Mordecai had a government position. And the king said, who's standing outside the gates? It says, well, Haman's right there. He said, call him in. And so he asked Haman a question. Remember, Haman has insecurity issues and Haman's full of himself. So the king asked the question, what should the king do for a man he wants to honor? He, who's done so much for him, who hasn't been honored properly. And Haman thinks, well, put him on the king's animal. Put him in the king's clothes. March him around the city and have everybody bow down to him. The king says, that is a great idea. See, the thing is, Mordecai had saved the life of the king. He found out people were trying to kill him. He warned the king, rescued the king, and people forgot about it. Where the king was stirred to look up in the archives to see this man who saved me never was honored. So he says, Haman, go do what you said. Remember, Haman hates Mordecai. So now Haman has to lead, so he's chauffeuring. So imagine, the best car is now being driven by the prime minister. And the man who he hates is in the parade cart behind it. Drives him around the city, proclaiming, everybody bow before Mordecai. Everybody bow before Mordecai. Everybody bow before Mordecai. See, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> Remember, he said, he'll set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. So that's why you need to forgive everybody of everything. Don't get back at anybody. God's got a plan for you. Just let God lead you. Let God guide you. They maybe says, yep, everybody bow before this Christian. Bow before this Christian. I don't know why I'm doing this, but everybody honor this person. So Haman's now troubled. So they go to the first dinner party. And the king knows that Esther wants something. So he says, queen, what would you like? She says, well, I want to throw a woman party. And then I'll tell you tomorrow at this party. He said, fine, we'll both come back. And so Haman's going back home because at first he was celebrating because he was invited to the party, that he had all this power, he was going to kill all the Jews. But then he got really concerned after he had to lead Haman around. I mean, he had to lead Mordecai around. He says, something's not right here. And before he could make a plan with his family and with his lawyers, they said, the queen has called you for your second party. So he goes back and the king asks Esther, what is it that you want? And he says, there's a plot. There's a person. Because remember, the king didn't know Esther was a Jew. Someone had planned and plotted to kill me and all my people all throughout your empire. And the king responded, who would do such a thing? Him. <laughs> Haman. That's the evil, wicked man. Haman didn't know Esther was a Jew either. Now, Haman is afraid for his life because the king is so furious, he storms off to cool down. Now, the king doesn't already have a good temper. You've already seen all the stuff he's done already. So he tries to go to calm down to make his decision. And so as Esther is just sitting on the couch, she's chilling. What are you going to do now? So Haman runs to the couch and falls before to beg for his life. But at this moment, the king comes in and says, you now trying to touch my woman? So now it says all the color drained from his face. <laughs> and someone says, hey, Haman made these gallows for Mordecai. It's kind of empty right now. And the king said, hang Haman on the gallows he made for Mordecai. So now Haman is now dead, hanging 75 feet tall. 
So Esther goes before the king once more and says, but he sent out a letter throughout all the empire. So he says, send another one. Tell all the Jews in advance what's coming on this day. Tell them they have my authority and my permission. Arm themselves and kill all those who are trying to kill them. The law that cannot be reversed. Now, you might think Haman just had a small plot. No, this was a huge plot. There were 500 people who were dedicated to Haman in the palace and 75,000 throughout the empire. It was a huge plot to assassinate God's people. Why? If they assassinated God's people, how can Jesus get here? So he's threatening the plan. But remember, the Lord of the breakthrough is going before them. So in one day, God delivers God's people. 75,500 people fall before Mordecai and Esther and their God. So now Haman's position is opening. He says, Mordecai, you're in charge. So now there's another man of prayer ruling the world. And neither Daniel or Mordecai were from Babylon or from Persia. These are two people who seem to be out of place, who should have been left out. But they were men of character, men of excellence, men of prayer. And God promoted them and God exalted them. They were heroes in their times, just like Esther. It's like Ezra, they were heroes in their time. They stood regardless to what the enemy wanted to do to them. Because as we said before, God knows how to deliver the godly from every temptation, every trial, and reserve the unjust to their judgment. He knew how to take care of Haman. He knew how to take care of Daniel's haters. He knew how to take care of all the people that wanted to kill his people. You forgive everybody of everything. You don't walk in unforgiveness. You don't walk in hate. Remember, vengeance is the Lord. He will repent. So you stay free of bitterness and unforgiveness. You walk in love and you let God be God. So no matter if you're facing the lions and their threats, whether it comes in a form of government, where it comes in a form of harmful situations, where it comes from with a negative doctor's report, an unexpected bill, where this pressure grabs your life. Have courage, just like they did. Walk in your authority. Believe God that many may be the afflictions or the troubles or the trials of the righteous, but he delivers them out of them all. Believe that he'll perfect that which concerns you. He'll complete it. He will finish it. He will do everything he promised you, but you must believe and not faint. You must stand strong and having done all, stand. Not saying, well, I've done everything. I don't know what to do. No, stand victorious, expecting to see the salvation of the Lord. So you have to stir yourself up when it comes to the dream, the plan, the purpose God has put in your heart. Don't give up on it. Don't quit on it. Doesn't matter how old you are, where you are in life right now. Says what God promised me will come to pass. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to back up. I don't care what governments say. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. I don't care what celebrities say. I'm standing for Jesus and he will deliver me. Everybody can leave me alone. But when they walked out, Jesus walked in. He strengthened me. He delivered me from the mouth of the lion. Now I got to tell 
testimony. Now I can say, well, God did it for me. If God did it for me, he'll do it for you. And when you look at Esther chapter 8, after Mordecai's promoted, after everybody knows Esther is a Jew, the whole empire, a whole lot of people say, you know what? We're going to become Jews too. <laughs> so when God delivers, not only does it deal with people who hate him, not only does it protect his people, the kingdom always enlarges and grows. Signs and wonders get people's attention. And it's God's calling card to bring them in. Remember, it was a visitation that brought the children of Israel out of captivity. And this is the year of visitation, manifestation, demonstration. And this visitation as it happened, God said, I'm going to bring you back, but I'm going to go before you as the Lord of the breakthrough. If he did that for his people in the Old Testament under an old covenant, why wouldn't he do it for you under the new covenant? That's a better covenant with better promises. The Lord of the breakthrough goes before you, lives within you, and is on your side. So what are you afraid of? The Lord of the breakthrough is going before you. Last scripture, and I'll close here. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. Brother Mike, I've mentioned Nathan, if you can get in place. Daniel 11, verse 32. We'll probably look at the scripture more next week. But Daniel's having a conversation with this heavenly being. And he's talking about the end times. He's talking about a figure to come who is a forerunner or foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Book of 1 John says there's many Antichrists, and this is one of them in history. And he's not the fulfillment of the promise of the prophecy there, but he's part of the fulfillment of it. And he talks about what he would do. But then he says at the last part of the verse in verse 32, chapter 11, verse 32, but the People that know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Esther knew her God. Mordecai knew his God. Daniel knew his God. And they were strong and they did exploits. If you know your God, you will be strong and you will do exploits. Part of knowing him is knowing who he is. And remember who he is to you. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. He goes before you. He lives within you. He knows the plans he has for you. And he will complete and perfect everything that concerns you. So don't be afraid. Don't give up. Stir yourself up, not just when you're in church, but every single day and believe this promise from God. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked Him into your heart, you've never made Him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that He died for me, but on the third day, you raised Him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. 
we ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Also, if you want to support the ministry financially, you can go to FCCGA.com and follow the directions there. If you want more about the subject of heroes that we've been talking about in this broadcast, go on to iTunes or onto Amazon Kindle and download Biblical Heroes Volume 1. Have an amazing day.